Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Thursday, January 14th, 2021. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, all the news from the Galaxy Unpacked event. The tech stock IPO first day pop bubble continues apace. Asus persists with that dual screen laptop thing. BMW has a new way to unlock your car with your phone. And Google absolutely swears it won't use your Fitbit data against you. Swears. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Samsung Galaxy Unpacked event today. As expected, we saw the Galaxy S21 unveiling. That starts at $799. The S21 Plus is at $999. And for $1,199, you can get the Galaxy S21 Ultra. All available for pre-order today, launching on January 29th. Did you notice that those prices were maybe more reasonable than you might have even hoped for? $200 less than last year's models. Quoting Chaim Gartenberg at The Verge. The new devices can effectively be divided into two categories, the S21 and S21 Plus, which are aiming to achieve a more wallet-friendly flagship experience, and the S21 Ultra, the ultimate Samsung smartphone that cuts no corners and aims to offer the most premium phone possible with a price tag to match. I was able to briefly try out all three devices last week, and they all share a new design language that throws out a lot of what I'd come to expect from a Samsung phone. The internal changes are more incremental from last year's S20 lineup, though, and in some cases, they're an intentional step back. Unlike past years, the S21 and S21 Plus are almost identical devices this time around, barring the obvious differences in screen size, battery size, and one or two other minor details. Samsung made a few compromises in order to reach those lower price points. The displays, while the same 6.2-inch and 6.7-inch sizes as last year's models, have dropped the subtly curved edges that have been a Samsung hallmark for years. Those flat panel screens also feature a step down in resolution from the 3200 by 1440 panels on last year's models to a more modest 2400 by 1080 resolution. Both phones still offer 120 hertz refresh rates, although it's dynamic adjusted now. Lastly, the RAM has also been dropped from 12 gigabytes to 8. The smaller Galaxy S21 makes additional trade-offs. The back panel is made of polycarbonate plastic, not aluminum, and it lacks an ultra-wideband radio, which the S21 Plus and Ultra offer for better integration with Samsung's new Galaxy Smart Tag. Lastly, Samsung is following in Apple's footsteps by no longer including a charging brick or headphones in the box, justifying it with similar environmental reasons, although Samsung will also likely save a few dollars by not bundling those parts. It's not all downgrades, however. The processor is Qualcomm's latest Snapdragon 888 chipset, which promises big improvements in overall performance. There's comprehensive 5G integration on both devices, with support for MMWave and sub-6 GHz networks. The fingerprint sensor has been upgraded to Qualcomm's new 3D Sonic Sensor Gen 2, which should be faster and easier to use. And the batteries are still big. The S21 still offers a beefy 4,000 milliamp hour battery, and the S21 Plus has been upgraded to an even larger 4800 milliamp hour one. But the biggest update this year is the new design, which ditches the glass slab sandwich that Samsung's been using for years for an updated look. And it's easily my favorite thing about the new phones. After years of dealing with the protruding camera bumps that have been the de facto cost of offering bigger sensors and better lenses on our smartphones, the S21 and S21 Plus embrace the camera bump instead of trying to work around it. 
The S21 and S21 Plus still have camera bumps, but they look good as seamless pieces of metal that flow out naturally from the matching sides of the phone, with smooth edges and spiffy two-tone designs that look really nice. Largely unchanged from last year, though, is the camera system itself. Both the S21 and S21 Plus offer a 12-megapixel wide-angle camera, a 12-megapixel ultra-wide camera, and a 64-megapixel telephoto lens, along with a 10-megapixel selfie camera. The S21 Plus no longer has a depth sensor. If those sound familiar, it's because the hardware is virtually identical to the cameras found on last year's Galaxy S20 and S20 Plus phones. Samsung has made some improvements on the software side of things, including the 30x space zoom mode, a new director's view mode for video that makes it easy to swap between lenses while filming, and additions to Samsung's single take mode. Samsung has also told us that it will no longer over-smooth faces by default, instead making it an option. It's high time that happened, end quote. And as for the Ultra, quoting in Gadget, like last year, the Ultra model is the highest spec version and packs features like a 6.8-inch 120Hz AMOLED screen and a quad rear camera system featuring dual telephoto lenses for 100x zoom. Unlike previous flagships, the S21 Ultra's screen can support refresh rates of 120Hz at both Full HD and Quad HD resolutions. This means you won't have to choose between smooth scrolling or sharp resolutions on the new phone. And as has already been leaked, the new flagship will support the company's S Pen Stylus, which is a first for the S-series smartphones. This supports Wacom's digitizer technology, but it doesn't work with the company's Air Actions gestures that let you flick the pen around to remotely control your phone. One of the S20 Ultra's more controversial features was Samsung's Space Zoom feature that let you get super close up to faraway objects. In our review, we found the tool to be problematic and flawed, mostly due to the low quality of images beyond 10x. The company wants to fix some of that with the S21 Ultra introducing a new dual telephoto lens system to provide, quote, greater clarity with every shot. One of these offers 3x optical zoom, while the other goes up to 10x optical, and the phone will automatically switch between them depending on the range you're shooting at. Unlike the smaller S21 or S21 Plus, the Ultra is only available in phantom black and phantom silver color options, though Samsung said more colors like phantom titanium, phantom navy, and phantom brown will be, quote, available exclusively on Samsung.com, depending on the market. The other flagships also offer additional pink and purple variants, and on them, the contour cut are in eye-catching bluish hues. On the silver and black units, the corner sections are more subtle since they're in matching shades with the rest of the body. Beyond the surface, the S21 Ultra is powered by Qualcomm's latest Snapdragon 888 chip in the U.S. and the Exynos 2100 in other parts of the world. Those who've used non-U.S. versions of Samsung's previous flagships have long complained about the performance delta in Exynos models, and this continues to be a point of frustration for them. Fortunately, Samsung announced this week that the Exynos 2100 will be an ARM-based 5-nanometer system on a chip that will consume 20% less power than its predecessor. If those claims are true, the Exynos models of the S21 might not be as disappointing as previous models. The S21 Ultra is also one of the first smartphones to support the new Wi-Fi 6E standard for greater bandwidth and faster internet connections. It also has ultra-wideband capability, which allows it to unlock compatible car doors or send messages to UWB-friendly phones nearby. 
And finally, the S21 Ultra starts out with 12 gigabytes of RAM and 128 gigabytes of storage. And if you want more of each, you can only pick the Phantom Black model. The Silver Edition is stuck at that configuration, while you can go up to 16 gigabytes of RAM and 512 gigabytes of storage on the black flavor, end quote. By the way, if you pre-order the S21 Ultra by January 28th, you'll get a $200 Samsung credit and a free Galaxy Smart Tag. What is that? Galaxy Smart Tags, also announced today, are a $29.99 tile competitor that will only work with Galaxy devices. Available January 29th, quoting The Verge. It's a small Bluetooth low-energy dongle you attach via a keyring. It pairs with a smartphone via Samsung SmartThings app, which can show its last known location on a map. When you're searching for the tag, the SmartThings app can show a proximity indicator depending on the strength of the BLE signal, and you can tap a button to make the tag emit a chime. One strange decision, though, Samsung tells me the smart tag will only work with Samsung Galaxy devices. It will not work if you have another Android phone or an iPhone. Unlike the rumored AirTags from Apple or the rumored next-gen tile tracker, Samsung's Galaxy Smart Tag doesn't support ultra-wideband. One of UWB's features is helping objects locate each other in space so you'd get more data than a proximity meter. It's a weird miss, too, because Samsung's been including UWB in its phones but hasn't yet done much to take advantage of that radio. And neither, it should be noted, has Apple. Samsung says that a UWB version of the device called Tag Plus will arrive later this year. It will cost $39.99. Both the regular Tag and the Tag Plus will be available in multipacks that provide a discount on the cost per tag, end quote. Rounding things up, finally, Samsung also announced new Galaxy Buds Pro, featuring a new design active noise cancellation, an ambient mode, and something called 360 audio, available now for 200 bucks. As for the design, quoting CNET, it's kind of like a cross between the Galaxy Buds Plus and the Galaxy Buds Live, and while the earbuds look different from the Buds Live, they appear to be similar to the case for the Buds Live. They've got USB-C and wireless charging too. The Buds come in three color options, It's boring just to call them black, silver, and violet, so as usual, Samsung has added a little zest, going with phantom black, silver, and violet. The new buds are fully waterproof with an IPX7 rating, that's the highest yet for a set of Samsung earbuds. Along with the active noise cancelling, you get an ambient mode that lets you hear the outside world, as well as a couple of notable bonus features. The first recognizes when you're talking and automatically lowers the volume of your music and fires up ambient mode so you can have a chat with someone. It's the same feature that's on Sony's WH-1000XM4 over-ear noise-canceling headphones, and it's pretty cool, unless you talk out loud to yourself a lot or sing along to your music. In that case, you'll want to turn it off in the app. The other bonus feature is something similar to Apple's spatial audio virtual sound feature. It's called 360 Audio. Samsung says it features Dolby head tracking technology, which, quote, enables you to stay at the center of the scene whether you're watching a movie or TV show. It's unclear which video apps and streaming services it works with, but if it's anything like AirPods spatial audio, streaming services will have to update their apps to support it, end quote. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. 
These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation, where they check user identity. But user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months, or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Octa-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com/ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's k o l i d e.com/ride collide.com/ride. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there is no compromise. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines, their family group chat, their crossword puzzles, just because they're available right now or they take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed credible doctors and specialists. I have personally used ZocDoc to find a podiatrist when I needed one for the first time ever in my life. Go to ZocDoc.com techmeme and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash techmeme. ZocDoc dot com slash techmeme. By the way, we did have our first tech IPO of the year yesterday. And if you're keeping track of whether or not the tech IPO bubble is still on, well, signs point to yes. Affirm began trading yesterday at $90.90 a share and closed the day at $97.24, thereby giving it a 98% first-day pop after shares were priced at $49, which was above a firm's own range of $41 to $44 and above what it was initially seeking, which was a range of $33 to $38 per share. So Affirm now has a roughly $13 billion market cap in its most recent funding round in 2020. Affirm was valued at around $4 billion. So the public markets still seem to love tech stocks, but also, and I cannot express this to you enough, the enthusiasm among investors, VCs, and everyone in tech around fintech companies is just, it's red hot right now. Affirm is fintech adjacent, even if it is just a glorified layaway plan, quoting CNBC. Founded in 2013 by PayPal co-founder Max Levchin, 
A firm has become prominent in the buy-now-pay-later space that offers point-of-sale loans. The company allows customers to finance online purchases that can be paid back in monthly installments without accruing compounding interest. It works with around 6,500 retailers, including Peloton, Wayfair, Walmart, and direct-to-consumer eyeglasses company Warby Parker. In an update to its IPO filing, a firm said it is used by more than 6.2 million people. A firm also partnered with Shopify last year, allowing merchants to offer installment plans on products they sell. A firm brought in roughly $510 million in revenue for the fiscal year ended June 30th, a 93% jump from the last year, according to its filings. In the three months ending September 30th, revenue grew 98% year-over-year, while net losses fell by roughly half to $15.3 million, end quote. So yeah, that's a pretty narrow net loss. And with sales jumping still around 100% a year, that suggests profitability for a firm is right around the corner, and investors certainly like that. But speaking of that Shopify partnership, get this, quoting CNBC again, The two companies forged a partnership in July for online lender Affirm to become the exclusive provider of -of point-of-sale financing for ShopPay, Shopify's checkout service. As part of the deal, Shopify was granted warrants to buy up to 20.3 million shares in Affirm. With Affirm's NASDAQ debut on Wednesday, Shopify's stake is worth about $2 billion." Back at CES, Asus has unveiled new 14- and 15-inch ZenBook Duos. These are those weird dual-screen laptops with a second display built right into the keyboard. Quoting The Verge, The 15-inch model will be available in North America in April of this year, but you can pre-order the 14-incher for $999.99 starting January 14th to ship on January 22nd. If you're new to the ZenBook Duo line, the laptops have a primary screen, the regular one, as well as a secondary screen, the ScreenPad Plus, that's built into the top half of the keyboard deck. It's not really big enough to do anything on, but you can load your distractions there, Twitter, Discord, Discord, etc., to keep them out of your main workspace. Some programs, including Adobe's, also offer ScreenPad-specific interfaces. The 15.6-inch ZenBook Pro Duo 15 OLED is an update to the dual-screen ZenBook Pro Duo 15, a 15.6-inch dual-screen laptop with a primary OLED display. There's also a 14-inch model, a sequel to the regular ZenBook Duo that came out last year. This model is verified through Intel's Evo program, which means Intel vouches that it has good performance, battery life, and other features. The two duos get a spec bump. The Pro Duo 15 OLED now has Intel's 10th gen processors up to a Core i9 and NVIDIA's latest GeForce RTX 3070 mobile GPU. The ZenBook Duo 14 now includes Intel's 11th gen processors, a Core i7 or Core i5, with Iris G integrated graphics, and you can add an NVIDIA GeForce MX450 GPU as well." And BMW has announced Digital Key Plus, a keyless access system that uses the ultra-wideband chip in iPhones to let users unlock select BMW cars without taking out their phones. I guess this is the ultra-wideband news day. Quoting The Verge. 
Digital Key Plus will debut on the all-electric BMW iX, which launches later this year in Europe and next year in the U.S. The big benefit of Digital Key Plus, according to BMW, is that it uses ultra-wideband, so it works with an iPhone that's still in your pocket or bag. In contrast, the current digital key system used by Apple and BMW is NFC-based, so you have to hold an iPhone or Apple Watch near the car's tag to unlock it. BMW also emphasizes the security of its new UWB approach, noting that it's resistant to relay attacks that might try and jam or intercept its signal, and offers, quote, the greatest possible security, end quote. At present, only a limited number of iPhones include the U1 chip that offers ultra-wideband support. It debuted in the iPhone 11 and was later included in the iPhone 12, but was missing from the budget iPhone SE 2020 that released early last year. The U1 chip was also included on the Apple Watch Series 6 released last year, end quote. And one last thing real quick today. Google has completed its Fitbit acquisition, kind of, and by doing so, it continues to vow it will protect user privacy. Quoting TechCrunch, The $2.1 billion deal's completion comes with a number of concessions. The EU in particular presented a number of caveats when it finally greenlit the acquisition last month. It noted at the time, quote, the commitments will determine how Google can use the data collected for ad purposes, how interoperability between competing wearables and Android will be safeguarded, and how users can continue to share health and fitness data if they choose to, end quote. As part of the deal, Google agreed to not use Fitbit data for ads for 10 years which the commission reserved the rights to extend by another 10 years. Google also agreed to maintain third-party developer access to Android APIs in order to maintain some competition. Google Senior Vice President of Devices and Services Rick Osterlow notes, quote, This deal has always been about devices, not data, and we've been clear since the beginning that we will protect Fitbit's users' privacy, end quote. Mm-hmm. Save this podcast episode as claim chatter, I guess, assuming any of us are still around in 10 years. But also, please note, the U.S. DOJ's antitrust investigation of this merger is not yet complete. By the way, I was wrong about Telegram yesterday, or at least I was too glib about it. Pavel Dorov, founder of Telegram, is apparently no fan of the Kremlin, and vice versa. And while Telegram does not end-to-end encrypt messages by default, you can turn on end-to-end encryption for one-to-one conversations. Messages are still stored on Telegram servers, which Signal does not do. So, mea culpa, basically... If you want the best security you can get for your messaging without actually going to the level of doing spy stuff, Signal is your best answer, but Telegram is not a bad alternative. Talk to you tomorrow.